and welcome to the Wordful Woman podcast. I'm Christina, your host, and my guests are people who operate at the intersection of science and spirituality. It is my great pleasure today to speak with Elizabeth and Finn. Welcome to the show, Liz. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's awesome to have you here. So Elizabeth Enton, also known as Liz Enton, is the author and founder of What the Fuck Just Happened, a sciencey skeptic explores grief, healing, and evidence of an afterlife. Liz was raised as a logical atheist who knew consciousness was a function of the brain and an afterlife was just wishful thinking. However, after the death of her father, she took a shot in the dark to see if there was any possible valid evidence of an afterlife, anything scientific and factual that did not require belief. While she expected nothing, she thought it was at least worth a try. As Liz delved into all of the research and evidence, even meeting the people behind it, she ended up down the rabbit hole of the craziest, most worldview-changing journey of her life. Importantly, Liz considers herself evidential and not spiritual. So if any of our listeners are interested in research and concepts that are at the intersection of science and spirituality, such as the possibility of an afterlife, but don't consider themselves to be spiritual, Liz is definitely someone whose work you want to follow. And on that note, Liz, can you share a little bit more with our listeners about yourself and the work you do via what the fuck just happened? Sure. So, you know, as Christina explained, my dad passed away, which was so just, as you can imagine, devastating. And when I began to delve into if there was any possibility, I mean, that wasn't even the very first thought I had, I can go through that, or I can describe as of right now, I'm just writing about my experiences. And I have a book out called WTF, what the fuck just happened. And I share just my whole personal journey of how I transformed, how I changed my mind, all the evidence I encountered, all the crazy things along the way that I experienced that made me think, I don't like to say I believe in an afterlife, but that I think there is a preponderance of evidence that I can draw a really logical conclusion that there's an afterlife. And I also so I write about that. And I have a podcast where I interview some of the people who've either had their own spiritual experience or sciencey spiritual experiences or have done the research themselves. Liz, could you tell us a little bit about your worldview as you went into researching this evidence? Like, how, how was it at, at the point that you started looking into the evidence and how did it change as you uncovered more and more? So when I first started, I assumed anything like an afterlife. Like, the only thing I'd heard about afterlife was through religion. And that just never made any sense to me. It was like this heaven and this God. And I mean, it I didn't hear much about it. I was in a pretty secular culture, so we just never really talked about it. So it just never seemed to me any way that it could actually be possible. And I never really thought about it. And it just seemed logical that brains would produce consciousness and nothing had ever given me any reason to think otherwise. So I just had no logical, tangible reason to think consciousness was anything more than a function of the brain. Like the only afterlife I'd ever heard of was religion and God and 
there was nothing about that that seems genuine or believable or factual. It seems like, you know, a nice fantasy. And so I just never really thought about it that much. I was in a very secular world in New York. Like, no one I knew really ever talked about this stuff. I never had met a medium or anything like that. And so when my dad got really sick, one of the first things I thought about was science fiction. And I was like, oh, my God, is there some way you could turn back time one day and, you know, have someone like a family member in like 10,000 years pull them into the future where we could get medical treatments that don't exist today. And so it was just a flash in my brain thinking how so much of science fiction ends up coming true. I mean, this was before COVID and now we know even more so. And so I wondered, is there any possible way to turn back time? I don't think it was coming from a logical place. I was like, oh, this is definitely a solution, but it was kind of like this desperate Maybe, let me just, it can't hurt to look. So I started to read about time travel and a lot about Einstein's twin thought experiments, which essentially means that if, you know, your listeners don't know, if one twin is to travel close to the speed of light, they age much slower than the twin on earth. So if they were to do this for 20 years, on our earth time, it would only be, I don't know the exact amount, but only a couple of years for them, the twin traveling. And so, and then there are other ways that in theory you can turn back time or travel forward in time. None of them are practical or doable because of all the boundaries of how we move in our, about in our earth and our material laws of physics. But it made me think, wow. So if this one set law time that feels so literal, so unbendable, really isn't so factual or as constrained as we perceive it, what else could there be? And my very next thought was, okay, so if consciousness is created by our brain cells and this has happened once, like I'm experiencing being here as me as a human being, why could another set of neurons just by the dumb you know, evolutionary coincidence that created me happen again and create another person that I got to experience being. I didn't think it'd be like, have anything like typical reincarnation. Like I didn't think there would be anything like karma or a spiritual experience to it, or that I'd even have like be Liz again or around the same people. But at least if the only other option is your consciousness is hundred percent obliterated, like it certainly seems like a really, really good option. So I started to think that, and I wouldn't get to be with my dad again, but at least, you know, it just wouldn't be this one burst of life and you never, ever experience anything ever again. So then I just had this one thought, and this is kind of the whole where everything took off after this thought. So if this happens, is there any possibility somehow there someone has an actual memory of another life? I Googled that. And that's where I first found the serious scientific research on all of this. And I found Dr. Jim Tucker and Dr. Ian Stevenson, who are professors at the, or Dr. Ian Stevenson's passed away and Jim Tucker is his protege and has taken over. And they um, are child psychiatrists and professors at the University of Virginia. And they study cases of kids with past life memories in a very serious, logical, non-spiritual science-minded way. And they're getting 
results that are absolutely inexplicable. So I immediately downloaded all their books, just took like five days where I did nothing but read them. And it was just probably the most like life changing thing I'd ever read. Wow. And it's, it's interesting that your, your entry point to this body of evidence was through reincarnation research, because it sounds like you have a take on reincarnation that is not the, the common view. Actually, it doesn't even sound like you're talking about reincarnation. So when you say that this, this arrangement of brain cells gave rise to you, so it could do it again. The first thing that comes to mind for me is, well, what is, what is you then? What is this you that you're speaking of? <laughs> Right. And before reading Jim Tucker, I didn't think it would be a me, like my definition of what me and you are, whatever, for whatever that means, kind of changed through this research, because when I immediately had it, it made me feel like everything to do with me, aside from like the material impact I leave on the planet, which also one day will die out when like the sun burns out and we have a big crunch, but it was just like a coincidence I have me this person and I felt whatever person it would get to an experience that would be another me that like at least I could feel like here I'm feeling myself smoking like at least I could have an experience of an existence would have no carryover whatsoever to who I am today it's just another coincidence of a brain neuron cells creating a conscious material being that happened to be something that like I was experiencing, you know, like as if I was like literally you or another person. This would be like that would get to does that make sense? It's so complicated to explain, but but like have nothing to do with Liz at all. Is this is this to you in, in any way similar to to concepts such as a one mind or a one consciousness? Is that the type of of, of reasoning you have, or is there something different there? Oh, not at all. Then it wasn't even, my reasons changed a little now, but still not to one consciousness. Then it was nothing like that. It was just like, so like the dumb luck that like Liz is me and Christina is you. Like just as easily, the same exact human being could be sitting here, but I wouldn't be experiencing it. Like I'm poking myself, I feel it. Like why couldn't it be another, someone who's a me? Do you know what I mean? Like there's a billions of people that have lived. Like what is the coincidence that I'm Liz? Like we have 7 billion people on the planet that getting to say when I say me, I'm experiencing it and it happens to be Liz. Like what a dumb coincidence. And if I thought it was like, like just brain neurons um, that created this and happened to experience, like why could that not all come together and some other brain neurons coincidentally ending up in another family in like 200 years, thousand years, whatever. And it would be another me, just the dumb coincidence, but no carryover of a Liz, just neurons that would come together to create a me. But like the first hint, I thought that maybe there could be something more than just a way of experiencing that, although I didn't have words for it exactly, was could a memory of that in any way carry over, which was my first thought of, a memory acting a little differently than just created by a brain. And that's when I Googled Jim Tucker and his complete research shows that yes, very much so um, the memories carry over. And there seems to be some, that consciousness, it was the first hint I had ever seen of any validity that consciousness might not just be created by a brain, that there's something, that there's some con continuity if we did leave 
leave multiple lives. It was the first hint I had seen, which I hadn't thought of when I first had this thought, but that there's some continuity of who we are and that it's more than just brain neurons in this physical body, that it seems to be something, that consciousness seemed to be something else than what I'd always thought it was. Yeah, it's really interesting once you dive into different takes on consciousness, because I think you can you can definitely approach this this body of research uh, that you're citing, which is you know children who claim to remember past lives. You can interpret it in so many different ways, right? You can say, well, here's reincarnation, which I personally believe is skipping a few steps. It is consistent with that view, but feels like it's it's skipping a few essential steps because I could also see it as well, you know, they're, they're accessing this information and that's what we know for sure that they have access to this information somehow. Could it be something like clairvoyance? You know, could, you know what I mean? Like there's, there's a lot of potential explanations there. What is your, you know, did, did you stumble upon any, any ones that blew your mind or, you know, you think are like, ah, that's definitely not it. You know, that's ridiculous. Like, what are your thoughts there? In terms of reincarnation? Um... For my thoughts, like I kind of stepped down to Dr. Jim Tucker and Stevenson and the scientists that are intensely researching this, and I tend to agree with what they concluded. They uh, they think that reincarnation is the most likely explanation, um, and I can go into the reasons, but this is based on the research I've read, not from anything I've personally experienced, but they've concluded that it's not so much clairvoyant or downloading, you know, somebody else's memory from a memory bank, the way a psychic or medium might access a person who's passed. And the reason is these people, there's their abilities or not their abilities, but their experiences of remembering past lives are very different than when a medium connects. They seem to have very little, they don't have other abilities. They're not psychic. They don't have any other abilities in this, realm they can't detach from it they you know medium can download a person and then goes back to their own life they don't detach they have real emotions as if you were remembering childhood memories that was just attached to you it's the only person they remember Mm -hmm. and the level of emotions and then dr tucker mentions that they're that you know he's a child psychiatrist that the way these children talk about these past lives is exactly the way children talk about real trauma they experienced in their life. And there are a lot of consistencies in the kids that have this strong a memory of the past life of their past lives or hypothetical past lives, you know, and they seem to forget around age five it's very emotional. They're very emotionally attached. There's consistencies. All of them will say when I was big. And what's interesting is I read blogs where parents will just post like my kid did this weird thing. They said when I was big, or I remember suddenly thinking when I was big, or I have a friend who was telling me he remembers a conversation with his sister. And I mean, he's like, I think about 40 years old now. So he doesn't remember all the details, but he said he remembers being confused as a little kid because he and his sister started having memories of when they were big. And he remembers talking to her about that. And he's like, but wait, this doesn't make sense because I'm small now and you get bigger. But he just kept remembering. And I think it's just this thread that goes from the research where the kids have the strongest memories 
to just people posting on blogs and it's this consistency. And also the memories tend to be pretty mundane. I mean, the things we really care about, like if you have fantasies of reincarnation, you're like, I was a queen or I was like, fought this battle. And, but the, they remember the stuff we really care about, like cookies with your grandma after school or having a sleepover at your best friend's house, your mom and dad tucking you in. Like those are the things we really remember. And they also, are traumatized by their memories of death often and I mean there's even funny stories of kids who like still are angry at people who mistreated them in their last life and so it's I mean I can't even do justice to their books I think anyone who's interested needs to read but for all those reasons I'm going to defer that it most likely seems to be people's past lives both because I trust the experts that have dedicated their work to studying it and then what they say makes sense but it could be something I mean this is do I say I know for sure no but it seems I agree it's the most likely explanation yeah those are those are really interesting findings and I I particularly loved the comparison with how mediums seem to retrieve information like there's so much creativity in, in how this research is conducted sometimes it just blows my mind and and I also love the fact that you pointed out you know memories of these children that that claim to have memories of past lives they're, they're mundane like it's not like oh I was Cleopatra because you know we always have that knee-jerk reaction like oh you know there's like a million people who think they were Cleopatra why are you never a peasant <laughs> you <know? laughs> yeah you know it's really funny Ian Stevenson made a comment about that I'll actually tell you two stories about this and one I mean he said he wouldn't really have done this it was just like a little poke in his book but I guess he met two people in all his research that he got that were you know some of the people making like the extravagant past life claims tend to be the slightly not the ones that were taken so seriously and I think he got an email from two different women who were like I was Cleopatra or some very famous and he was like what if I introduced them which he was like he wasn't really going to but that that was kind of funny and then Jim Tucker did one where he asked kids to pretend they had a past life and tell the stories and what their lives were like and then match it up with the real stories. And he said it was so profoundly different. Like, yeah, the kids who had past lives that they made up, they were like, it was just like the way a kid would. I was a princess and I lived in a castle with my pet dragon. And then he said the closest one girl came who made the most realistic life then in the end, when she said how she died, she was like, I was eaten by a monster, you know? And then whereas the kids with like the real past life memories, I mean, it's very real and tends to be very instant and tends to be very young deaths. It's about, you know, plane crashes in a war or being murdered. I mean, just a car accident when they're young. I mean, just almost as if their lives were cut before they were supposed to. And the memories aren't necessarily supposed to carry over that strongly, although maybe we're supposed to have little hints, but not to the point where, I mean, really sad things that don't sound like pretend, like some of them miss their old families and someone who had died when they were older, which isn't the norm of the statistics, but someone who died when he was older, he suddenly felt so degraded being a child again, and he missed his kids, you know, he was an, imagine if like, you were like a seven-year-old adult with the kids maybe grandkids and you suddenly have to leave them all I mean and you wake up in a child's body I mean 
would be actually, we might think, oh, it'd be so nice to remember our past lives, but really it would be horrible if it's too strong, you know? It sounds dramatic. It is, it is. And that's usually why the parents go to him. They're not really researchers, but the kids are have showing all the signs of the trauma, you know, like nightmares. One thing that when kids experience trauma in this life, you know, they'll replay it. They kind of replay the scene with their dolls or toys in like this sort of repetitive, unable to get out of it way. And some of them replay their deaths like that just over and over again with their toys. It's, I mean, it's, it's fascinating. It really is. And, you know, I, I want to, I want to also do justice to be, because, you know, we make light of the fact so many people claim to have been Cleopatra. I mean, if reincarnation is a thing, someone, at least one person was Cleopatra. And it, it, it makes me think, you know, maybe <laughs> if they're still around. And it, it makes me think that we have this assumption actually hidden underneath this when we think of identity that, you know, I, it, it's just me, it's just one entity and you are just one entity. But, you know, if I, I recall at least um, one shaman talking about this idea that we're actually multiple spirits. So, you know, I think we should start questioning that assumption, like how much of a single entity are we really? And then when you bring the whole concept of reincarnation into the mix, I mean, this reality gets really, <laughs> really wobbly. <laughs> it really does. I mean, I just tend to think we live, or I've come to think we, our bodies are just like, and brains are just this tight filter where we just experience and focus on this tiny portion of reality, of our reality and ourselves and who knows what else. I mean, I don't even think we have the right vocabulary because we can't, it's so hard now to define self once you change this or a reality or I just, I think we kind of lack a vocabulary for this kind of thing. Yeah, and it, 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 it reminds me of what you were saying that in the beginning you had this, this feeling almost, but you didn't have the words to put on it. And, and only with research did the words actually start to come. Um, Liz, can, can you share, because you already shared a couple of stories, but um, I know you also have personal experiences that indicate there might be more to reality than we think. So do you want to share some of those with us? What most blew your mind? What, oh my god I mean what most like so much so I guess I can start with my first medium reading I mean I can give a few both personal things that happened to me and a medium reading um all this is in my book if you want to get into de you know further details and kind of takes people through the journey sorry obnoxious self-promotion there we welcome self-promotion <laughs> you have an awesome story to tell well you can keep the mystery but you know maybe let us know oh, no, I'm, I'm happy to tell them because this is just like small parts of multiple things so one was my very first medium reading and I've had multiple medium readings and some are wonderful some are mediocre and some are terrible and this medium reading I'll actually tell two stories of medium readings because I think it's interesting. One I thought was terrible at the time and turned out not to be, and one was wonderful. So luckily my very first one was wonderful and that absolutely blew me away because I'd found mediums through scientific research and I'd been reading the work of Dr. Julie Beichel at Winbridge and you know, Dr. Gary Schwartz. And I never would have thought of mediumship as anything to contain consider but when I was reading the research done on mediums and this other researcher Dr. Jeffrey Tarrant who scans mediums brains to, and 
I was like, there is something. If these studies are right, I've got to get a medium reading. So I like ironically, I guess, or I had tr- I was on a wait list for one of the Winbridge mediums, just the first one I reached out to, which ended up kind of being this wonderful thing where I ended up meeting her otherwise and she introduced me to my main mentor I guess I should say wonderful awful because my main mentor ended up passing away but I'm so grateful I even had her in my life but so I kind of feel like I guess I'll go back to this first reading so instead of even being Winbridge medium while I'm on this other Winbridge medium Laurelyn Jackson's wait list and I want to say the name of my mentor is Fran because she just she made like no one made more of a difference in my life after my grief and learning all this, but I found this other, I went to, so I'm waiting on Laura's wait list for Winbridge and I decided I'd try to reach out to some other Winbridge mediums too, but I go to this book signing, ironically with my mom who thinks this is all nonsense, but a colleague of hers had passed away and his wife was there And she said, you wouldn't believe it. My husband's been visiting me. I went to this medium. My mom's like, oh, shit, here we go again. I have to listen to my daughter talk about this crazy shit day and night. Now I have to hear it like when I go to work stuff. So I was like, let me get the name. Look at her website. She's like, just looks like this little hole in the wall medium. And like her website didn't have anything to do with science. It had like crystals. I was like, this is going to be such bullshit, whatever. But I have to try it. Like I'm sitting here in suspense waiting for my Winbridge reading. and. I go, oh my God, she knew so much shit. I was just like, how did this happen? How did this happen? So it it was profoundly changing. However, of course, like one thing's not going to change it. So I leave and I'm questioning and I'm like, I know something happened. And so it was really the start of my exploration into mediumship was probably phase two because phase one was all the research of Dr. Julie Beichel when, you know, some of the I took classes with um, Lloyd Arbach at the Rhine. So I was learning all the facts about it. And then I finally went to one and that was a personal experience. Then I'll say the, another, this one isn't in my book, but I think it's interesting. It's more psychic actually. She was a terrible medium. She's not Winbridge, not Forever Family Foundation. Oh, and I'll say a little bit about Forever Family. They certify mediums by making them pass these tests. They're fairly secretive about all aspects of it but essentially the mediums have to prove that they're getting information without knowing the person without that they're not cold reading and not hot reading which means they've googled them um i know laurelyn jackson in her book talks about her experience testing for forever family foundation and winbridge if you want to learn more about that and also winbridge website writes so much about their testing so you can learn just a bit about how mediums could be certified and i mean dr julie Beichel, but like depending how sciencey you are i mean she has both versions where you read like actual very four scientists experiments and evaluations and then also some of them are written in more like lay terms so both are really interesting depending what you like to read so I went to this woman and this just make you question the whole definition of what future versus past means and she was like bring in my dad like I think I had to tell her it was my dad like 
very cliche, like what an older man of his generation should be like. I mean, she was not a good medium, but I think she was so from the heart. I don't think she was sleazy. I think this is what she was thinking. And if I could guess, she's actually a psychic, not a medium. Those are two different things. So a medium communicates with people who've passed away. A psychic reads your energy and can read aspects of the future for you. And they're not necessarily communicating with, and they're not communicating with someone who passed away. And then as I've been taught by Lloyd Darbach, who is a parapsychologist who teaches classes at the Rhine, which is perfect for you. It's the same as intersection of science and spirituality and the science behind spirituality. And he will say all mediums are psychic, but not all psychics are mediums. And some psychics don't know they're not mediums. But so I went to this woman and I could just very pure, very good intentions, but I scored it after as like zero, nothing right. Cause she got some stuff for my future. And she's like, oh, are you a medium or psychic? She's like, no, wait, no, you're not. She's like, you don't have these abilities, but you're going to be doing stuff with this world. I was like, no, I mean, I think this is crazy. She's like, you're going to be doing something so unique with this world. I see you standing before people speaking about this stuff. I see you. She's like, you really are teaching your mom, your mom. I was like, my mom's like one of those moms that's like the total mom, like the adult, like really, she's like, it's really successful with her career as a therapist. She's really like educates me. I'm like, I don't know. Like, she's like, and she just kept saying, I'd be doing all this stuff with spirituality and mediumship, but not, but that I didn't have ability. She's like, I don't get this. She's like, I see you're, and I was like, what's she talking about? All of it's true, you know? So I'd even forgotten about that reading. And I was looking back at my old readings and I was like, holy shit, I gave that one like the worst score ever. And the psychic stuff was like on point. And like, there was no hint in anything I gave her to think that I wasn't like, I've been researching this. I just was like, you know, I was like, you know, I've come for a loss just like anyone else. And I was one of the more skeptical people like, and I was so clearly skeptical during the reading and just like, yes, no, not giving any indication of interest in this world. Like it's kind of amazing. So those were just that second part's not in this book. It probably will go into my, uh, like a second or something. I don't know. There's just so much that happens. I mean, that's really what changed my mind. And then I had a few personal spiritual experiences. So this one I, um, again, I'll mention Lloyd Arbach. I took a class with him and it was, one was on psychic readings, mediumship and psychics at the Rhine. And one aspect we learn in that is cold reading. And that's, if you guys don't know what cold reading is, that's when a fake medium or fake psychic will assess you based on how you look, how, you know, your age, your, you know, like if, you know, and and sort of how you respond to their information. Like if you come in, in yoga pants and a gym shirt and your hair in a bun and, you know, you look like the stereotypical yoga teacher, they might say, oh, so are you a yoga teacher? If you come in like a total business suit, you're successful. You run a business. I mean, just, I'm doing a very coarse version of it because like the well-trained ones are really good I'll add one more point to that I think sometimes there are not genuine psychics or mediums that unintentionally give cold readings and I'll give an example of that because I've done that I mean I knew I was doing it I was just doing a psychic workshop but I think 
there's things you can figure out by looking at people and some are better at that than others. And some of those people have come to, from their heart of hearts, believe they're psychic. So I'll give an example of when I did that. I, did, I knew I wasn't psychic. Like I knew it was logical, but the people in the group were like, oh, see, you do have abilities. I was like, no, like you're 60 and I knew your grandma died, you know? So, um, so this one, so I go to a conference called the Afterlife and Mediumship Convention. Lloyd Arbuck's there and it's being held by this organization called the Forever Family Foundation, which I now volunteer for doing their social media. And the Forever Family Foundation was founded by Fran, my mentor, and her husband, Bob Ginsburg, who he's another mentor of mine. Um, and this was my first time meeting all of them after my dad had passed. I'd started doing some of their social media, but I hadn't gotten to meet all the people. And some of the workshops at this retreat were for people who've lost someone, and some were for people who had abilities and wanted to develop them. So the last night was for people to show their abilities, read the table of the mediums and get an evaluation. And so the people who are doing it, you know, they're going, some are doing well, some, you know, weren't, they're learning. And then jokingly, Bob Ginsburg's like, Liz, you go give her readings and you know, you go to try. And at this point I was like, like a million times more skeptical than I am today. And I was like harassing everyone with like questions about physics and how this like could actually work. And like, I was like, this just doesn't make sense. And so I was like, oh, you know what? Yes, I'll go do a cold reading. I learned them with Lloyd, I'll practice one. And Fran's like, yeah, that'll be good for people to see. I'll explain to cold reading so people can know what like bullshit is, but I'm not a good cold reader because it's like really is an art, which is why I think it's important to be careful. And I went up and I don't go into all the details, but I start like doing, this would be a version of a cold reading in a group. Like did someone lose a grandparent? I'm getting a J name, like a John, mm. like there's going to be people who claim that. And we were supposed to read the medium. So like a few, I do that. It's clearly a joke. A few of the mediums claim it. I do a few more things and I start feeling so weird, like waves roll over me. I, for no reasons I can't even explain, I, walk over to this one medium who I didn't even know. Like I'd met him briefly this weekend. His name's Joe Scheel. He's awesome. He's so good. He also is a spirit artist. And I have all these weird sensations, like waves are pounding through me. And a, one example was I feel all this like energies move to my heart and keep bursting. And I was like, this, I'm like, I feel this. Did someone die of a heart attack? He's like, yes. And I kept having these sensations. And I was like, what? the living fuck this is so weird <laughs> and I got like everything accurate I mean I wasn't like good good the way a professional medium would be but after that I was like I had these sensations and I'd already had a lot of medium readings and it not only was I like this this was really tangible like I physically felt this but it opened me up in my other readings that when mediums would say I kind of am feeling this but what does this mean like I believed them before I was like, oh, they're so full of shit, but I was like, okay, I can work with that. I mean, there's, I think a difference between giving away your information and being a little willing to work with mediums and being like, wait, describe that sensation. It just, it was a trust I had and my readings changed and my research changed since that, after that. I had one other experience like that. I can't do it normally. I don't understand. I can't do it when I'm alone. Like mediums have to learn to turn this off. Mediums have this happen all the time. I 
I've had it twice. I don't have it happen all the time. Um, I will get weird little things once in a while that I think everybody does. It's just I notice them a little more now instead of blowing them off. But yeah, I mean, I think having experience like that does not make me a medium. That should be working like with raving people. But it was they were very interesting. And if I could guess if there are like conscious beings on the other side working with me, I think they made sure I had them, those experiences so I could understand this better. And it probably was much harder for them, I could guess. This is, if I could like explain someone like me versus an actual medium, it's probably much, much harder for them to work with someone like me than it is one of the, you know, certified medium. And then I know I quickly said I would do an example of like how I gave a cold reading, like without meaning to, but I took a class with that medium I mentioned, Joe Scheel, and he had us break up into groups and give each other readings. I didn't feel any of those sensations at all, but you know, I wanted to do the assignment. I was there. I wasn't tricking people. So I looked at these women and went around the circle. There's like four women and I gave what came into my mind and it came into my mind based on logic. The difference and 99.9% of the time you ask me to do this, it'll come to me based on logic. Mediums would be the reverse. And so, you know, I was looking at one of the women, I was like, You lost a grandmother, she had like brown hair. I was like, You know, I see her sitting there with like a little girl, like with braids and brown hair and baking cookies. Like, this woman was like in her 50s or something. Like, her grandma, she was from the culture that baked, you know. And so, and I didn't feel anything. And so, I think a lot of fake mediums probably just notice, notice things a little more than I do about a person. And, you know, if you, I could see how if I was raised in a culture, in a culture that believed all this, and then I was putting that all together, logically looking at somebody, I could think I was a medium or a psychic. And because they were all like, oh, you're getting this right. You really do have abilities. Don't say you're just here for science. And I don't know if they believed that truly, or if they were just trying to be kind and make me comfortable and welcoming. I have no idea, but I think that's where the majority of fake ones come from rather than a bad place. But there are ones that come from a bad place too. Mm. I, I think it's, it's, it's like with, with any sort of profession, right? You, you can be honest, you can be competent, you can be dishonest, you can be incompetent. Uh, you know, right. it, it's a craft you hone, you're better, you're worse. If, you know, if someone listening to this is thinking of getting a medium reading, but now is saying, well, on the one hand, Liz is saying be skeptical, but on the other hand, she's like, well, you kind of got to work with them. Like, how, how, how should they even start to, to find someone? Okay, so I will say um, you can pretty much guarantee, not guarantee, because, you know, sometimes it's just not a good match. But Winbridge and the Forever Family Foundation, if you can find one of their mediums, they're really good. I've had some readings where they were not certified by either, and they're still really good. So sometimes it can be a bit of a crapshoot. So if you want to, I mean, if you only can go once and, you know, you're saving up to go, like, I would probably bias a little, but, you know, go with Forever Family Foundation or, you know, somewhere both Winbridge and Forever Family, Winbridge or Winbridge, you know, but um, otherwise, and I would also take these precautions always. I would give a fake name and fake email address, Google voice number, have a friend, not a family member pay, and then like, you know, go Venmo your friend. Um, ideally, some people really want the like, 
connection of in-person, but if ideally you can do it on the phone, not even video, so they can't see you, do that. You know, use your Google voice number for the call. Don't give them information. Don't tell them things. Don't say, I, you know, try do the best you can to just say yes, no, I don't know. And if they really are trying to push for a little more, you know, don't hold back your reading. Just say, would you like me to give a little more? And don't pour out the whole story. Give a little more. Some might need a little more. And then there's a few that just don't. And, you know, it's, so that's what I think. If you do want to go in person, I would just recommend, like, all the same protocols I said, except, you know, try to dress really neutrally. Like again, if you're a yoga teacher, don't go in yoga clothes. If you're a businesswoman or man, don't go in a business suit. Like just go as generic as possible. Don't wear like the necklace from your grandma or like, you know, look at your hand. If like your husband passed and you notice like a tan line from where you took off your wedding ring, like, you know, and like, you know, they could see that you're always wore a ring there like put makeup over it or you know because I mean those are just good ways like to hide as much as you can I mean even the genuine ones if they're totally genuine if you're a skeptical part of you is just always going to wonder so you want to eliminate as much of that like afterwards especially if you don't then plan to go research and get like 100 readings and meet all the scientists and mediums like that's kind of what you have so you you don't you want to be able to eliminate as much of that after of, oh, did that really happen? But maybe it could have been like this. Like all, you want to eliminate as much of the second guessing that you're going to most likely have afterwards as you can. That's awesome. That's awesome advice. Thank you. Thank you so much, Liz. Sure. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, you took us through, through so much evidence and you know, everything you mentioned will go in the show descriptions as links so that people can find everything that you've referred to. And I want to ask you, how do people tend to react when you share this research and your conclusions about the afterlife with them? Ooh, <laughs> depends who and depends where. I ease into it. I, okay, like my meetings were for the first time and I feel like, like I'm going, let's say I'm going on a date. I usually first talk about like, science of consciousness I'm like I'm kind of writing up a little bit about like science and spirituality I'm not like my dad died and I start researching the afterlife like that's just a little too much I also like in the startup world because I'm involved with startups I talk about singularity first you know singularity like the tipping point when robots might get consciousness and a lot of like the big top startup people are into that I'm interested in it this is that's part of it but I start with that before mediums and I kind of see where the conversation goes. If, you know, I'm meeting people, you know, then depending on how interested they are, I sort of start leading more towards the, yes, I had a loss in my life and I kind of start to research if maybe there could be survival of consciousness. And then if people are like, oh, that's crazy, then, you know, I I leave it. I don't push it. I tend to find most people are curious, 95%. Some are not, that's fine. I have other things in my life I can talk about. I definitely get uncomfortable, embarrassed a little because you know, I still have been raised with this as such a stigma, you know, just get over that. But I think most are curious and it also, you know, depends on the setting, depends, you know, when I go to 
events for startups like you know I usually promote like I have a zero waste startup I'm launching I usually talk about that mainly and then I'll be like and I do some writing on the side about like science spirituality singularity and then anyone who wants to talk further usually the people who then approach me to talk about that are really interested and then when I go to writing things like to promote my book or I mean, what can I do? I have to be super open. I'm like, this is my tagline. You know, science skeptic explores great healing and evidence of the afterlife. And I hope the what the fuck just happened makes me sound grounded rather than totally out there. But I mean, it's true. I did this. This is my life. Like I have to own it. But, you know, I, I maybe don't own it as everywhere with the confidence some people might. But yeah, but I mean, I, I ease in to kind of sniff out people's reactions. Yeah, I think you're doing a beautiful job. And I think, you know, being the person that's kind of on the edge, you know, on the cusp between things is always challenging. It's always challenging to, especially in the startup tech world. Like I, I can, I hear that and I can understand that. And what I hear is, you know, if you wanna, if you're interested in these topics and you wanna go out and talk to other people, well, first of all, meet them where they're at and you got to find out where they're at in the first place. So you kind of drop breadcrumbs. And secondly, you know, I think what I also found reassuring is to realize how many people are actually closeted about their curiosities and actual beliefs. Cause I was, I was there, you know, and I was like, oh, yeah. So, so <laughs> many. And I think a big thing for me too, like, cause some people are much more spiritual or medium. So like, just own it. Like, who cares what people think? But I'm like, I think for me is if I own it too much, I'm misjudged for who I am. And then I don't necessarily get the right people around me that really align with me. Like, I think, I think I'm blown off by people too quickly, maybe, or just not even blown off of people. Like people sort of categorize you quickly because they're really busy. And then I know some people I opened up to about it sort of early, just, you know, I mean, it was, it was a socially acceptable moment to do. It was like this little like women's coffee, like networking event, but like I, open and if you were like oh I should take up with this guy totally not my type you know but like very they're like oh we should be finding spiritual guys I'm like I'm, I'm not even spiritual like that's not my type I mean could I fall in love with someone like that sure I'm not like sorry but it's just like that's not like I just get very it's easy to miscategorize you which just kind of brings things to you that don't really align with you you know what I mean so that's why I feel like I like to I like to present myself as me and then you know people are curious to have a real talk about it other yeah that's just I find that easier and you know represents who I am more realistically yeah I you know I love that you say that because I think it really speaks to it's a very human thing it's very evolutionary right we want to label we want to stereotype if you start talking about afterlife religious or spiritual if you go in that box you know and you realize you're you're not you're an atheist and you know you you own that and I love that and you know even though we don't have the same philosophy around that because I do consider myself spiritual I respect where you're coming from and I think you know this is you you shouldn't have a label put on you that's not yours you know there's there's room for nuance exactly and I think it's not even just label but like people like want people to most people I think are good not, certainly not all and most people want people to like find the right guy and find the right community so they'll be like oh you'll love this or like a person I'm you know come to this event and then it's like 
something that I'm like, oh my God, this is ridiculous. I mean, I might be scientifically curious about it, but I'm like, you know, it'll be like, let's, I I don't know. I don't want to knock anything because I think everything, that's something, you know what I mean? It's just something that I'm like the least, least evidential, like spiritual, like just, just nothing wrong with it. Some people like it, but not me. Like, you know, like a 2 a.m. drum circle to bring in your spirit guide while you like get naked and roll in the sand. For, I mean, I'm exaggerating, but you know what I mean? Like, just, I'm like, no, like, no. Like, I'm more like, you know, like would rather go to like a business event or like just a casual hole in the wall bar. Like I kind of like, like sort of like businessy things or normal things. Although I'm just kind of, I will go to anything pretty much as long as I don't think it has horrible values, even maybe just cause I'm curious and I love to learn and I, yeah, I'd probably go to something I considered really bad at least once as long as like, I don't know, maybe like would I go to like a Trump rally? I, I might watch. I don't know. I'm probably too pissed off. I, but, you, know, I, you know, I don't know. I, it's still, I'm, I'm curious. Like I, I like that curiosity. So I'll go to anything, but I also need to have my places where I really feel aligned and at home because I think there needs to be a balance of like curious exploring and having places that are just feel like you in your home. So, and I think people misunderstand what that you in your home is when you're kind of in the stage of your life where you're still seeking that a little and single, you know, and trying to find like your core, like a lot of your core base in life, which I think is, I don't know if it's always been normal, like our age, but I think like, you know, having had the loss of my dad threw me off track and then a pandemic, I'm kind of more like suddenly jumping back to like my mid to late twenties, like even the early thirties, like because things got thrown off track. So I think there's a bit of, you know, and I, I, I think there's a bit of, you know, I don't want to waste a lot of my time constantly just being miss, like constantly just at places where I'm exploring and not really, it's not really aligned with me. So I think, if that does that make any sense what it, I just said it makes so much sense and I am yeah. so grateful yeah. that you brought it up I think this is a huge or just giving people a huge permission slip to you know first of all you don't have to have it all figured out like it's a continuous process second of all you don't need to be in any damn box you are who you are you're unique you know and right. people, you know they're always and I say people in a general sense because we also do it with our people so you know we're all in this together like we're all always going to try to make each other make sense to us but you know sometimes we're not going to make sense to everyone and that's fine that's fine yeah yeah that's true it's true exactly and I think you have to do the best you can you know so I was going to say it's interesting bring up the tech like there's this woman I think I don't know if anyone here listens to her like Kara Swisher she's like a tech startup journalist I mean it's really odd that I'm even bringing her up in this world but she has done a podcast I was like this is exactly how I approach it one of her episodes I relate to so much and this is a lot what I might kind of the way I'll talk about it more when I go to like most events that aren't literally like this forever family or afterlife events is this woman Kara Swisher interviewed like did this whole talk about some of like the startup bros are trying to live forever like the really successful ones like Elon Musk and and then she was doing this thing about like a some technology that might like download consciousness and she's like saying she's really interested and she's like you know if we go to this other side and download it into the technology and she takes just such a logical approach it's just one episode of her podcast sway but I was like that's 
kind of how my mind puts a lot of it together. And I think there is a lot of interest. It's just there aren't that many voices that talk about it in that way. If that makes sense. It, it totally does. And I think even when you get curious and you try to look up things, you are hit with this afterlife is not a thing, psi phenomena are not a thing, you know, wall that you kind of have to push through. You have to even know to push through to get to, to, to the actual evidence that says quite the contrary, actually, that, that supports the yeah. contrary, let's say. Um, yeah, what, what has been your experience with that when you started researching? Did you, was, was the first thing that you saw like encouraging, like, you know, or was it more like, mm, well, the very first thing Jim Tucker was encouraging and my very first medium reading was encouraging, but there was multiple stuff along the way. And also, of course, a voice in my head the whole time that's like, this can't be true. This can't be true. So it was just kept being an accumulation of all this evidence. And I felt like there was, there was a lot mixed in that was very discouraging. But I think the evidence, like, I think it was... I might say luck the mediums would say it was not luck that I found Jim Tucker first and he's part of once you find his work he's part of University of Virginia Division of Perceptual Studies which has all these very serious researchers about this stuff and then you find him and you find you know then you start finding things you know like the Ryan and the Society for Scientific Exploration so I think with the science stuff like if you're really using keywords to Google that are like science-based and you're really taking that approach, you find the right stuff because it's pretty, it's there, you know what I mean? There, there isn't that much. So, I mean, I felt like with all of that, it wasn't that bad, but just like a lot of bad medium readings, a lot of the way trying to talk to people where it was really hard to have conversations with people about it because there was just so much, yeah, things that just yeah, it just didn't seem good. Or like a lot of things like, it just seemed like just really expect you just to believe. But that was stuff that that tone of voice doesn't appeal to me. So I wasn't like, I would dismiss that really quickly. And I think finding this little core body of research, as well as having that first medium reading be so good, really kind of made me feel like it was a process of sifting. And I, I didn't find that much in the science crap, just because as soon as I start to read a line, I'm like, oh, that makes no sense. You know, I, I like the, it's a different tone when it's like not sciencey. So you figure out within like the first page whether it's something I would move forward with. But there's a lot of nonsense out there. I mean, you have to really, I think, or if you're a skeptic, you might say it's nonsense. You really have to find the right stuff and be willing to like know that you're going to find stuff that's not great. I mean, I, I, I did see some absurd stuff along the way, but that was more like some of the mediums or like I went to a seance and it was like a carnival show. It was ridiculous, but he was pretending it was real, you know, so. Yeah, I think, I think, I think that's such an important point that you're making because there, there are a lot of absurd stuff, a lot of, a lot of traps on the way, I think on, on both sides, so to speak. So one that I see is that um, when you try to look up things like psychic ability on the internet, the first thing you're hit with is a Wikipedia page that's like, that's non-existent. Um, cold reading is a thing done by 
mediums, not fake mediums, mediums, so completely discrediting all, you know, all, all the legitimate ones. Um, and so you have this whole wall of there's nothing there, there's nothing there. But when you actually look at the research, you're like, what the hell? Like, why don't we know more about this? So that's one. But then there's the other one that you're talking about that's that's more that's more on the side of being too attached to spiritual beliefs or ways of seeing the world in, in at the at that at the other extreme end and trying to prove something in that way and you know kind of bypassing you know logical reasoning that's also not good so you kind of have to find the sweet spot <laughs> exactly exactly and I mean there's real nonsense on both sides there's just so much extremity on both sides and there's some book about Wikipedia, like the Wikipedia's approach to the scientific research. I forget, it's on my list. I can send it if you want to put in the show notes. It's like the war on Wiki, like Wikipedia's war, something yes. like that. Yes. But... It's, it's Cywars by Craig Weiler, who was actually yes. on the previous episode. Guys, go and check it out. Oh my God. <laughs> okay, perfect. That's hilarious. We're going we're gonna to oh. put it in the link. Well, one of those little synchronicities in life, I guess. Liz, I want totally to ask- honestly, I have not <laughs> downloaded your episodes. I did not know that at all. I, I, obviously, you guys know I, if I knew that, I would have said it. I would have remembered the name of that. So that, there's a synchronicity. For, but, for our listeners, know, Liz had no idea because at the time we're recording this, I didn't even put, put it up yet. So oh. <laughs> this was completely blind. <laughs> That's so uh, funny. <laughs> Liz, I want to ask you. What do you think, when we look at afterlife research, what do you think are the most important practical applications? So we know reincarnation is potentially a thing. You know, we know potentially there's an afterlife. Now what? How does that change our lives? God, I think it changes it profoundly. I mean, first of all, it's science. Like we, as a species, I think, want to examine the truth. Just like, you know, it's really good to know there's like, as many planets as there are out there and it just it's absolutely remarkable as of now like the photos we've been getting back from so far into deep space and back in time too speaking of a you know because these are showing time billions of years ago because of the way light works so we're getting glimpses back into time and space and that's just one of the most profound and it's something that's socially acceptable to call profound and believe but it's just this remarkable it's glimpses into the truth of our reality, which I think is something we, that means so much to us. And I think if we can, so there's part of just the scientific fact, you know, that it's important to understand our reality. Another part is understanding our expanded reality. It's really, I think, important for just like us as a species to not keep a limited worldview. And, you know, when you hear back in the day, it was considered like, sci-fi or a joke to think there's life on other planets and I mean to me staring out in the sky I'm like I always thought there'd be life on other planets how could there not but now that we're getting these types of photos and they're just starting to see how vast space is and how many Goldilocks planets there are it's kind of seems like it would be crazy logically to not think there's life on other planets so I think there's an expanded mind about just learning as many other realities and then just existential dread and grief and the pain of like you feel like this is just it you know I know not everyone feels that but for someone like me who feels like this is just or felt like this is just it this just takes away like a level of I think existential dread and pain and agony it eases the agony of grief you're always going to feel grief like I've had a loss since thinking all this was real that 
meant the world to me, you know, losing my mentor, Fran, and it was agony. Like the thought of losing other people in my life is horrible. I've lost animals since, and it, it still hurts. It hurts just as much. I was surprised to discover that, but there's a hope added to it that didn't used to be there. And I think, you know, for people who are dying, people who are dying young, it just makes the pain and the unfairness a lot less. And then I'll just speak a little bit about religion into this too. It's not something I can speak with personally about religion, but at least in my country lately, religious people have been causing a lot of harm. If anyone's been following kind of America, United States of America is not the only country to experience that. There is a belief that there is one God. That's fine. Believe it. I, I don't think that in and of itself is harmful, but there's a certain aspect of religion where I think there's a lot of fear there's a fear of hell there's and then a belief that your god is right and you must impose that with laws on people which takes away people's rights and there is a lot of that and I don't think it's all bad people who believe that they truly they're following beliefs that they truly have and they truly think they're doing what they should and I think this can be like counter a counteract, this could counteract, maybe that's, that's the word, um, that type of approach to religion with something that's both more kind and probably more, I will say more as a science person, more realistic. So I, I would think the extreme ends of science and the extreme ends of religion both seem to have a lot of unnecessary pain. Other scientists might feel otherwise or other religious people might say otherwise, but like when you, you both can be taken with a really dark approach, you know, from the emptiness of science of just Darwinian, this is it, you die, you die, and there's nothing else. And, you know, let's say you are 20 years old and get cancer and that's all you've thought, like, what do you do with that? You know, and then the only other approach is religion, which really requires faith and belief rather than fact or evidence, or, you know, you're super religious and, you know, you're gay and you don't think you can ever be with your love or you get pregnant at 16 and think you have to have the child, although there's no evidence that consciousness is, you know. So I, I think it brings a more realistic and less brutal approach to the world, I guess. I never quite thought of that until now, but no matter where you come from. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I think it's so important that you brought it up. Like for me, I think it, it all boils down to one word and the word is dogma, you know, and it can pop up anywhere. It pops up in religion, it pops up in science, it, in our day to day. And, you know, and, and I think that's the thing we really need to work to tackle. Yeah, you know? yeah I think you're right. So it doesn't allow you to live by how you are and you also think you then have a right to not tell others how to live like I know I said a lot of bad things about religion I'm fairly angry at it lately with what just happened in our country but you see that with science I and mean, I've seen like atheists say horrible things I mean just things that I'm like what the fuck's wrong with you like I was an atheist I would have never said that like you're invited to someone's home and they ask you to I'm just a small thing like ask you to pray with them like you're a guest in their home you're experiencing their culture like what a lovely invitation they're like I don't believe in God I wouldn't pray like how disrespectful and how missing out on getting to experience another's values and getting to bond with you know just so disrespectful and I mean even darker being like like I was reading a post recently about 
this, this this guy found social media david i think mcafee i don't know he's fun i like him he's interesting he's like another person who like writes books but uses the word fuck a lot so it's like i've got to follow him you know it's in my title you know i'm following other authors and he's an atheist and he was just supposed to sit out where i was like atheists are just as bad as religious fundamentalists because he was talking about how he prayed with his grandmother when she asked him to when she was dying and people were posting like she's in hospice being like pray with me and he prayed i mean who the fuck wouldn't and people are like you went against your beliefs i would say i never would there's not a god I and mean, what like what like someone's asks you to pray with them even if they're not dying like i mean depending on the situation if someone's like you know pray away like pray for the, your gay friends like fuck you but you know someone's dying or just in a non-judgmental way like I don't care. Someone could ask me to sing them like a song about a bunny when they're dying. Like, you know, that's what, and I just found that really disgusting. So both sides can really, I mean, so much unnecessary pain and judgment and limitations on both sides of the aisle, I think with that. Oh boy, for, for, for sure. And to me, you know, that's why it's so important to have these conversations um and to to show that look there is we can have diversity of perspectives and we can mm -hmm. still have a conversation and we don't have to shove our personal beliefs down each other's throats you know like we we can talk about the evidence but the thing is i think what uh many people also get tangled up in is that well the data says this well there's a million interpretations that you could put on the same data set you know, and at that point, I think we need to start like really respecting each other more, you know, assuming that your interpretation is, is not a hateful one or, you know, harming other people or that sort of thing. But, you know, within parameters, I completely agree with you. Like we, we really need to get over ourselves in many ways. And you can be curious about something and want to experience it it without meaning you believe it like I mean I hope I get to the point in my life where I can do lots of travel and like visit interesting cultures and how cool would it be let's say you like I don't know I don't know if I'll ever have this opportunity but like you visit like a tribe and they ask you to do like a tribal dance to their ancestors ancestral spirits and you know like what an honor like when i feel like well I don't really think that's true you're not really this brain dance you're doing in this you know, tribe to honor your ancestors. I mean, I don't know the specific one, but let's say, you know, I don't believe that this is absurd. Like, of course, I probably don't think it's really going to do that, but what an honor if you're invited to experience their culture and see who they are. And, you know, and I think that's just across the board, you know, especially if people are welcoming you in, you know, it's very different if they're like, you have to believe this. Sure. No, but just it's, no one's asking you to believe something but to read it or experience it and yes both it can be there can be damaging literature like I no I wouldn't go to like if I was invited to like a prayer circle to as I was saying like pray away the gay of my friends or pray for the aborted babies saying that they're babies like there are things that I but that's because that's coming from a place already where they're imposing they're asking me they'd be asking me to support imposing their beliefs on someone else you know with through laws and that's very different than saying okay I don't believe this but that's interesting and I can experience it and thank you for like letting me be your guest in this like experience of your beliefs and I think 
I think it's really unfortunate people can't appreciate that. Yeah. Liz, we, I love that we, I love that we went here. I love that we went into this personal dimension of it because I think, you know, it's, this is real life and this is how this sort of, this sort of research and its implications actually affects us and how we live and how we think and the laws that we pass and all of that. Um, and I want to ask you, based on all the evidence that you've seen, what do you personally believe, so we're going into beliefs again, the afterlife is like? Oh boy. Okay. So I don't hold beliefs. So I'm going to turn that around because I, I, I mean, I think it's irrelevant to have a belief about that. So I can say mainly we don't know, but when I compile the evidence, it's, and I can speak about this evidence because like it comes in through a few different areas. Um, it seems like it's partially something we just can't understand just any more than we couldn't understand or explain seeing a color we never knew. I think there seems to be different parts of it. Um, you know, there's the part like closest where you're still sort of out of your body and attached to that world. There's probably parts that I couldn't even begin to explain. Seems like you are still an individual consciousness. You feel a lot of love. Like a lot of people will say there's only love on what they call the other side. I, okay, I will bring in a belief. I most likely, that does not make sense to me. I cannot believe there's only love and then there's also all this darkness here. I would have to think it's more complex than that. Just like it's much more complex here. It's probably a little bit more individual for different people, just like the way it is here for people. I think they're probably, you do feel a lot of love, but you feel a lot of that too. And I would think certainly probably with NDEs, you feel a lot of, like, I mean, I guess I have to go with evidence. Like people describe their NDEs and they say they only feel love. And I'm bringing a belief to that. I think, let's say like you come home from like summer camp as a kid or a trip, like your first day home, you only feel love. I mean, maybe you feel sad, like you miss your friends, but you also just like, you see like your loved ones after you've been away and you're like, oh, I'm so happy to be here, you know? And I think NDEs, because they come back, they obviously haven't gone very far. They feel like just profound love. And maybe it's getting a little philosophical, but maybe also like they, they must have their own challenges, but maybe it's the relief. They don't have the same challenges here. Maybe so when you kind of connect with that, you feel just like the relief of that you don't have the same burdens as here. Um, so I think. I think there's, it seems to be where you're experiencing consciousness. Aspects of it don't seem so, so different from here, except like time and space don't have the same limitations. But that could be that's the only realm we're able to communicate with or even understand. I guess it's, yeah, I, I do think your consciousness remains. I don't think it's like perfect. I don't think there's most likely a God, although I do think there's higher levels of Con individual consciousness it seems like individual consciousness can stays but this is the only thing we have evidence on I can draw this from is a type of you know I mean we do, all do use the word afterlife but I almost still think there's an afterlife because if time is limitless and you're pulsating in and out of different dimensions so and some are physical some are non-physical so I guess I'll say this is part of like the non-physical phases 
of our consciousness. The only ones I think we can have any evidence on or information on are ones that are very close to us. So who knows what happens in like, let's say after the big crunch and our universe dies out and it's like 20 trillion years, like who knows what that will be like? Maybe it's exactly the same and we're just going onto all different planets and living like as humans and maybe other beings. Um, but I would guess that there's, this is part of it and there's probably like multi-layers including ones, as I said, to try to describe a color that you've never seen. Like you just, you can't even wrap your mind around it. Uh, so I think there's aspects of that to it too. Who knows if we get to experience all of them. But I think if I was to really put together what like the best idea I could have would be a combination of reading like a little bit about Jim Tucker when he writes about kids of between lives, a little bit of mediums talking about, you know, the love they feel on the other side. But again, I think there's probably more to it, but I think there's probably a perspective of how much they've like a perspective that we lose in the midst of it here kind of like the way you look back on times that were ups and downs but you look back with so much love on that time of your life when you were in it maybe it was really hard like do it you know early stage of a startup being a parent to a young kid then like you know you're old your kids like has their kids and you just look back with so much love on that you're not like oh that time I, I mean I don't have kids yet but like I hear about this and I assume I do want kids so I assume they'll be like this you know like the morning I'm late for work and like my husband like had to go to work before me and I'm alone with the kids and you know nanny's not there and I'm like running to a meeting and my kid throws up like I'm not going to be like oh this is such a beautiful experience but when they're like you know 25 and like you know and I'm older and like I'll, I'm not gonna be like god damn it that time you know I mean even if I remember that like my kid and I would laugh about that and there'd be love and affection so I think when people say there's only love on the other side. So yeah, I, I'm getting a little to believe here. I would guess it's more along those lines rather than it's just this perfect blissful place. Cause I just have a hard time believing anything is hundred percent perfect and blissful. So, but I think it has aspects of it. And I do think things that cause us pain, we would say is blissful because they're not a grief. Cause they're like, Oh, see, I died and I'm here. And now I'm with all these people. I spent years like miserable about and I see you're there and I'm going to see you again so I think a lot of the agonies that are of being a human are not there just like the agonies of when you're two years old overall I mean if you had a horrible trauma to like the death of a parent I mean that's always going to be there but the things that seem so agonizing at two like you had to share your doll or like you dropped your ice cream like you know you're like that doesn't seem horrible so I, I would guess it has a lot of perspectives. So we as humans perceive it as perfect, just like often adulthood looked perfect at two because you could, you know, or even older, like even eight, you're like, oh my God, you can eat candy all night and don't have to go to bed. Like you don't really want to do that anymore. But, you know, so I think there's, I would guess that a lot of it involves a perspective we just don't really understand. What a beautifully nuanced answer. And, you know, Thanks. just before you got to the example of, you know, when, when I prepare the things for the kids and they need to go to school and something goes wrong and, you know, that's not, that's not pleasurable per se. Uh, but overall it is, you know, even before that I got this image of, you know, it, you have bliss upon going to the other side, but then maybe later on you need to take the trash out or, you know, it's all these things. Other side version of taking the trash out, like, 
the spirit like next to you, like another spirit dies in the room the same that you hate even though they say there's no hate on the other side I mean it's, it's probably a different form of like ones you don't align with that drive you nuts in a whole other way you know there's probably like spirits that were really mean here that go there and are still mean and still working on that and like maybe they're right next to you for like a hundred years, which to you is like an hour there. I don't know. Like there's gotta be shit. Like, I just can't believe like it doesn't have its own, it doesn't have its own issues. <laughs> oh, thank you so much, Liz. Um, I need to ask yeah, you thank this. You. I need to ask you because some of the people listening um, today might be grieving. Um, and I yes. want to ask you, if anyone listening is grieving the death of someone they love, uh, what would you say to them? Oh God. Okay. So I would say I completely relate. I was there. It hurts. Like there's nothing you can do to not make it hurt. So society's always telling you to distract yourself from it. And they're very impatient with your grief. Like that's not going to work. You're going to feel really bad for a while. There's no perfect timeline there's no right way to deal with it ignore all the people who are like you need to you should like you're gonna it it is how it is for you and there's no right or wrong way and there's a lot of shame in our society about feeling grief people just want you to act happy and people are very uncomfortable so find the people who've been through it who are comfortable with that if that's nobody and you just want to be alone be alone if you are the type who does want to go out, like I used to said, people want to distract you, but if that works and you want to be with your friends and you want to go to parties and that's, don't let people shame you that, oh, you should be home. If you want to be home, don't let people shame you that you should be back to normal. It's a very individual thing. There are other people who've been through it, so you could talk to them. And then in terms of the afterlife, like, or other dimensions, I mean, it really, you do not get more like skeptical than me like I just thought this was such nonsense and the amount I have seen and other people I've met who are just as skeptical who once they delved in completely changed their mind it's most people once they start studying this from a logical perspective change their mind and I'll add one other thing to that it's like our brains are just material matter So it's just as like nonsense and belief-based to conclude that your brain made of non-material matter creates consciousness than it does to think that there's another, that your consciousness is somewhere more permanent being downloaded by your brain. So a lot of the stuff that just is being called fact and logical requires just as much belief as they say that survival of consciousness or non-local consciousness does. So don't get discouraged. And if you have one bad medium reading, don't get discouraged. I like you know, the white crow quote by William James, I forget exactly, but it's like one white, like to, you, all you have to do is see one white crow to disprove that all crows are black. So you just need one good medium reading. Somebody else needs to get one. And that just shows that there is something. So that's what I would say. Thank you, Liz. Um, I want to ask you because you, you, you've done so much research on this and you know the landscape of afterlife research so well in 50 years from now how do you hope that our understanding and the research of afterlife will evolve oh my god well i really hope that people are 
I hope this research gets really, really, really serious funding the way neuroscience does. I hope that it stops being scoffed at, that whatever the powers that be, you know, investors or majorities, scientific community, stops scoffing at it and takes it as real serious science, like, and thinks it's worthy of further consideration. I hope that, you know, all this research is not underground, that it's not just this little, I mean, I, that's another thing you said, how people react when I tell them about this. 99.9% .9 of people are like, what? Wait, there's that? I never heard of that. So they're shocked when, you know, at first they kind of, you know, roll their eyes a little like, oh, that's cute. Yeah, some people believe in God. I'm like, no, I don't believe in God. And they're like, well, you know, but when I start saying, really, if they're willing to listen, all the substantial, they're shocked. And most of them will go read something and be like, oh my God, like I had no idea. So I hope this is just equally access information. I hope some of the stuff that is more like the spiritual belief-y stuff I mean, while it might have its art and beauty to it, doesn't come up first in Google if you Google reincarnation. I hope it's like, if that comes up, like I hope Jim Tucker is right along there with it. And I just, I hope this isn't underground. Awesome. And I love the very grounded answer of put more money into this because I think that's really important. That's really, you know, we we, we got to get to the practical stuff. <laughs> like, And don't ban talks. Don't ban some of the people oh, from scientific talks. conventions, which happens. Don't ban like Russell Targ's TED Talks. I'm like, Wikipedia, you don't have to agree with this, but like stop making fun of people who are just researching this and like believe that they're doing serious research. Like, you know, you don't have to agree with every conclusion. Every scientist doesn't believe in everyone's conclusion either, but don't assume that they're just idiots, you know? I, 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 I think this I think this is so important to be said. Like not all researchers agree amongst themselves. Like obviously there's so many interpretations of things, there's different viewpoints. We need to remember that. Liz, I love your passion. If you could be remembered for one thing, what would it be? Oof, God, I saw that. And I, I <laughs> oh if I could um if I could be remembered for one thing, that is so hard because I I hope to be remembered by different people for lots of things. So I guess just for being like, hopefully for being like curious and yeah, I mean, I guess for being curious, but ideally, you know, I, I, I don't want to say only hope to be remembered for this afterlife research because I do a lot of other things too. And I, you know, I hope to be remembered as like a good friend, mom, you know, one day. Um, hope my zero waste starts as well with my being remembered for making a shit ton of money <laughs> I'm not gonna above that <laughs> but yeah I hope like combination of like curious and logical curious logical and like taken seriously in a certain way that's that that is awesome but not boring hopefully you also think of funny stuff <laughs> <laughs> no I love I love I love how you answered this because it, it it is a very reductionist question in one way and I agree you know it's one thing we want to be remembered for so many things because we are so many things and I love it Liz it's it's it that's awesome right right um, if thank you if our listeners walk away from today and you know that if they were to remember just one thing 
again, the one thing from what you shared today, what should that be? This research is really worthy of serious consideration. Like, don't lose hope. There is, you have to do some sifting to read the good stuff, but it's really worthy of, it's as valid as any scientific research out there. Don't just automatically believe anything, but really, if you're especially in grief or dealing with your own mortality or just, you know, this, there, this is really substantial. This isn't believe this isn't woo. It's really worthy of serious consideration. Awesome. And lastly, Liz, if our listeners want to look you up, check out your work, which I highly recommend, where can they find you? You guys can go to my website where it will link to where you can buy my book. You can listen to my podcast. You can find my Instagram and TikTok. And that's WTF just happened.net and you can email me from there and i'm also i'm active on email i'm active very active on instagram we will put all the links to to find liz in the show notes um and with that liz i want to thank you so much for bringing not just your passion but your deep expertise uh your humanness and your humor humor always makes everything better right to to the show today Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me. You know, I could say the same for you. It's just wonderful conversations and you've done so much research on this too. And I think you and this podcast are, you know, really part of what I said, I hope happens in 50 years with all of this. Thank you so much, Liz. I appreciate that. And I appreciate you and your work.